they came to bear witness of the truth. Pilate said three times that uh, he found no fault in him. Pilate tries, but can't get out of the situation the crowd had, had put him in. Crowds demanding a wicked thief, murderer, and insurrectionist named Barabbas over Jesus Christ. They had the they could have asked for Jesus back, but they wanted the sinner back. They chose him over Jesus. Pilate ends up commanding for Jesus to be beat. And as we studied last week, Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. His vision was marred beyond any man. Wasn't recognizable as a man. So bad that when Pilate presented him to the crowd, he had to say, behold the man. This is the same person that was brought in that you wanted beaten. Hoping that maybe they might have some mercy on him. But they didn't. His back was torn to shreds by scourging. Pilate ends up folding to the pressure of the crowds when they threaten to involve Caesar and say, wait a minute, you're not obe being obedient to Caesar because this guy says he's a king. And if you honor him, you're not honoring Caesar. It's a life threat on him. So he folds and he gives the order for Jesus to be crucified. Now, I uh, do have to say that if you are a believer and familiar with this scripture, this is probably going to be more of a reminder to you. There's not going to be a whole lot of new information coming out today. But it's a reminder that we very much need. What we're going to study here is a declaration of God's love for the unbelieving sinner. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God that came to die for the sins of the world. That three days later, He rose again as he said he would. And as he did, he proved that he had power over sin and death to forgive us our sins for anyone who believes in him, everybody who believes in him. You get into some foolish conversations of, well, who can come and who can't? That's God's decision. That's not man's. That's all you have to do is lay that at their, their feet as, a, as an argument. But as we are studying, we'll see that Christ, and as we have studied, I should say, is the Savior for any man, woman, child that wants to accept him. Don't mistake the faith of a child when they say, I don't think they really know what they're doing. No, they absolutely do. When they say, you mean for the wrong things I do, that if I just ask God forgiveness? What did Jesus say about the faith of a child? <laughs> if we had the faith of a child, right? If we even had the faith of a mustard seed, that faith of a child. You know, people say, well, they didn't really know. No, I've prayed with my kids when they accepted the Lord and they understood what was happening. And they're still walking with the Lord to this day. They know it's our job to train them up, right? To train them up and, and help them to know the Lord more, to help them to understand the word. John chapter 19, verse 17. So we, Pilate had given the order for Jesus to be crucified. Verse 17 says, And he, bearing his cross, went out to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and the two others uh, with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. So Christ here is forced to carry his own cross. And uh, when we look at it, in a proper biblical perspective, he's carrying the cross for our shame, for our guilt. So as he's doing that, as we're studying this, 
understand that everything that happens has happened to Christ already and happens from here on out. He's doing in our stead. He's carrying it after such horrific torture. Roman custom would be that he would carry his cross from where he was sentenced to where he was going to die. And uh, normally this might be, you may see depictions of him carrying a full cross. It's probably likely that there's uh, already fixtures, the upright fixtures there, and he had to carry the cross beam. Either way, he's carrying the, the wood, that heavy wood, after such a horrendous beating. And he's dragging it there. And we see in other gospel accounts that he physically couldn't do it. So Rome says, you know, grabs another guy and says, hey, you're going to help him. You know, can you imagine? I know we discussed this in Luke. That man literally, physically, we can say this metaphorically, like, but this man actually grabbed right a hold of that and carried what would have been his cross to for Jesus Christ. That's a lot to think of. That man carried, literally carried that cross and then watched another man get crucified for his sins when he actually was part of dragging that cross. It says a, it references a place of a skull, Golgotha, that's Aramaic. And Luke calls it Calvary. It's a derivative of the Latin phrase. It's the same meaning. So they crucify Jesus. They nail his hands and his feet. And last week we talked about the more than 350 prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. And this is one of them. As they're nailing his hands and feet, Psalm 22, verses 16 and 17 says, For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed, has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. Another prophecy fulfilled. Another prophecy fulfilled. You're going to see that as a trend as we're reading through here. It says that two others were crucified with Jesus. One on either side and Jesus Christ in the center. Isaiah 53 verse 12. Here's another one. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he has poured out his own soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. What is happening here when Christ is, is crucified, he's making intercession. He's stepping in for us. You guys ever interceded for uh, maybe a, a kid that's about to be hurt by something or a friend or a loved one where you know that they're in danger and you step in front of them? Jesus is doing that for our souls. He's stepping in for us so that we don't have to pay the penalty for our sins. There's a sinless one that's interceding, stepping in in intercession for us. Luke 23 verses 39 through 43 says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing that seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Another declaration of his innocence. 
Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus Christ made a... Now, there are a lot of doctrines that say you've got to do X, Y, and Z before you're saved. I had a conversation with a loved one recently saying, What is baptism by fire? And we have this discussion. She And I said, who are, who are you talking to? What's the background? And she tells me the, the Christian background. I said, yep. What they're doing is they're trying to find out if you've been saved or not. And then I told them those scriptures that we've even discussed. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you are saved. Those basic things. And some will say, well, if you're not baptized this way, or if you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, that really didn't count. You had to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Point them right to Matthew 28, where Jesus Christ himself said, Go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So now their argument is with Jesus Christ. And you point them to that and say, wait a minute. So uh, what if I was sprinkle baptized? It's about the, the profession of faith, that public profession of faith. This man had no way of being baptized. He's literally nailed to a piece of wood up in the air, suspended in the air fighting for every breath, pushing up with his legs. And it, Jesus didn't look at him and go, sorry, bro, can't do anything for you. You can't get down here. You can't go, you know, speak in tongues. You can't go do this, that, and the other thing. You know, I, I got nothing for you. No, Jesus, what was Jesus' response to his faith? Today you will be with me in paradise. There's a sinner on one side proclaiming uh, that he believes in Christ and one not believing he, he in Christ. Alfred Plummer, 1800s, 1900s scholar, said the whole of humanity was represented there. The sinless savior, the saved penitent, the condemned impenitent, right? The unrepentant sinner, the repentant sinner, the savior in the middle. This, it's, it's, that's still reflected today. Jesus Christ in the center. What do we do with Jesus? Do we believe in him and ask him to be our savior, turn from our sin and walk with him? Or do we just mock him like everybody else was doing? Same question exists today. Accept him or reject him. Remember the Lord crying out, saying, lay before you blessings and cursings, right? Choose life that you may live. That's what God wants. God, anybody who tells you that God doesn't really care, doesn't exist, okay, with everything going on, he's you know, he's really focused on what's happening here. He's got bigger things to focus. There is nothing bigger to the Lord than a sinner coming to repentance. So big that he would send his son to die for us. There's nothing that, that is bigger, more important to the Lord than souls being saved. Send his son to die for us. That can be your answer. Verse 19. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but... He said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. So Pilate, as it was customary for a conviction to be put over someone's head on a placard over their head, made a statement. His name and his, what would be his crime. And uh, 
the crime is, you know, you got crimes on either side, thief, robber, um, whatever it was, and uh, over their heads. And the, the, what's written over him is written in three different language, which, languages, which turns, which is prophetic because it's, it's written in three different, uh, in those languages, the Hebrew, the Greek, and Latin. You know, Jesus Christ, the gospel is for Jew and Gentile, not just the Jew, not just the Gentile, Jew and Gentile, so that anybody that, that read that could understand it. And it was foretelling of what was going to happen. So Pilate gets pressure to change it. You know, they might have seen it as a dig on the Jews that Rome would crucify their king. And, um, you know, he remains firm, at least on something. We see that Pilate, and uh, we, as we studied, a uh, very weak leader, weak governor, could be uh, swayed by uh, just the smallest amount of pressure. And uh, he folded. And uh, what we see here is he's not willing. What I've written, I've written, he says. Then soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but let us cast lots for it, uh, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now, Jesus is on a cross. There are some that believe that he might have had a cloth, you know, covering his waist. Others say, no, Rome would have uh, wanted to put out the most shame and the most shock and awe and would have hung him on that cross naked. Either way, he's up there and his clothes are on the ground. And these guys here are starting to want to fight for the garments. No, I want this. I want that. Why? Because they can make money on it. It's not like they wanted to go home, frame it up, and be like, hey, here it is. They wanted it to make money. They wanted it as a trophy, as a badge of honor. So they start doing these things, and they can't come to you know, some sort of, of decision. And, and it's, a, it's a seamless uh, tunic. Now, that even of itself, if you were to read Exodus uh, 28 verses 31 and 32, it spoke of a seamless tunic that would be worn by the high priest. Now, when you get into the book of Hebrews and you start looking at Hebrews describing Jesus Christ as our high priest, you can see where that would be prophetic all the way back in Exodus of Jesus Christ wearing that. Psalm 22 verse 18 says, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Another Old Testament prophecy fulfilled. It says right here uh, in our reading in verse 24, let us not tear it, uh, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled. That says they divided uh, the garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So they didn't want to tear it. It's made of, there's no seam in it, so they decide they're going to cast lots. In so doing, they had no idea that they're fulfilling scripture from Proverbs 22. They're doing that. Are you seeing a theme? Do we see a theme? Because as Christians, if we understand this, pack this into your brain, right? Because as we're, uh, and we're going to have the opportunity to share our faith, we must be ready to do so. We should have this on just ready. 
just, I need that card, and I need to read this in my brain. These are things for us to remember. All the prophecy being fulfilled, even in the crucifixion. Verse 25, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his home. Now Mary is there looking at her crucified son. Her, her own son, her oldest son, is nailed to a piece of wood. I don't know a parent in the world that wouldn't do anything they can to stop that and to get them off of there. I don't know a parent that wouldn't do it. This man has, has nails driven into right into here into his wrist and into his feet, and he's stuck up there in agony. Crown of thorns that was beat into his skull. And he's up there bleeding, beaten to a pulp, beyond recognition as a man. Remember back in Luke 23 that Mary was told that a sword would pierce through her own heart. She's witnessing it right here. She's going through that right now. Another prophecy fulfilled. Now, as we study here, we see the names of three women being uh, said that they are there. Reminds me of the strength and boldness of women. The guys are scattered. They're hiding. John's hanging out. He calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. Who was there boldly? The women. The women. The guys tucktailed and took off. The women are there. Even those that said that they would die with Jesus were gone. Remember James and John's mother going to Jesus and saying, hey, when you come into your kingdom, can my sons be with you on your left hand and your right? And Jesus is like, you don't know what you're asking. I'm paraphrasing. You don't know what you're asking. She, she wanted them to be in positions of, of honor had he been, the at that point, reigning as the Messiah on earth. She wanted him to be in the prominent positions of honor. And Jesus said, it tells her basically she doesn't really know what she meant. We know that James and John, James was beheaded. John was boiled in oil and, and exiled on the Isle of Patmos. They went through it. They definitely did. What we see is happening here when Jesus looks at Mary and says, Behold your son and, woman behold, and, uh, and behold your mother as Jesus is committing Mary to John's care. And John even took her to his home, and uh, there's no mention of other family members. It's, it's just not there. Sometimes in the scripture there isn't, we shouldn't try to put things together that aren't there. But Jesus committed them, and I, uh, I believe that that was uh, in faith, that it, for, as a spiritual leader uh, for her, for Mary, that, that the Lord is, is saying, Behold your son, behold your mother. That you would look after her, yes, for her physical needs, but also take care of her, minister to her. She's going to go through a lot. Her, her soul is being pierced right now. And the Lord is saying that, you know, go get ministered to by John. Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel 
full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put hyssop, put on it hyssop, put it on hyssop, sorry, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus asked, he said, I thirst. So they understood that to be, he needs something. So they, they just reach up and uh, they give him some wine. And when Jesus had taken a drink from it, he says in the Greek, tetelestai. It's a victory cry. It is finished. He's saying that his ministry is fulfilled. His mission is complete. What he came here to do is finished. And he, it says here that he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. His work on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins was finished. That we can be forgiven. The sinless and spotless one was offered to God for our sins. That us, we sinners that you know, rejected God's word and were due a penalty that Jesus Christ stepped in. That we might be reconciled to God. Luke 23 verse 45 says, Then the sun was darkened and the veil in the temple was torn in two. That veil of the temple that I described. That, that temple was torn from top to bottom. There was no way. that, Like I said, that was 18 inches thick. I, I remember Ken Graves teaching years ago. It would have taken four teams. They said it would have taken four teams of oxen to rip that thing. Rip that thing in half. God ripped that in half. There was a symbol there that when Christ died and his blood was poured out, his body broken for us, there's now no more separation between God and man. There's no separation. Jesus Christ is our way, right? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you've heard me say this a billion times. That's okay. 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's one mediator between God and man. There's one God and one mediator between God and man. And that is the man, Christ Jesus. There's one God. There's one way to him through Jesus Christ, through God himself. We do not need special saints. We do not need hocus pocus. We don't need our good works. We don't need any of those things. It's our salvation is based on by grace through faith. Ephesians 2 tells us that. We are saved by grace. God's unmerited favor uh, imparted to us by Jesus Christ and that there's nothing we can do, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Because if we say, yeah, I'm good enough. I did X, Y, Z. Now I'm good to go. My sins are paid for. I'm good. How boastful are we going to be? No, but we're brought to humility. And that we, we can cry out on a morning like this when we're gathered together because of what he did for us. Because there was absolutely no hope. Jesus went in, in prayer to the Lord as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. says that he's sweating great drops of blood. And he asked, Father, is there, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. There was no way for man to be reconciled to God but through Jesus Christ. So John is attesting here and, and, and he's, he's sharing everything that he's seeing and, and, uh, and, and we get a, a glimpse into it. We have newness of life in Christ. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, remember when, when we just studied it last week, when he's having this discussion with Pilate 
there, there's a part of it where he's brought back in and, and he won't answer Pilate. Pilate said, you're not going to answer me? He's all beat up and bloody. And then he kind of lets Pilate know, like, you don't have any power but the power that was my father gave to you. And he, he explains to him that uh, there, there's nothing that, that, that Pilate had that over Jesus Christ that was uh, not given to him. You know, Jesus made the declaration that he could have called legions of angels to save him. He laid down his life for us because he loves us. So the blood of Christ is poured out. The sinless lamb had been crucified for us. All those Old Testament prophecies that spoke of a coming Savior had been fulfilled. All the way back to Genesis 3.15. In Genesis 3.15... God declared to the serpent, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You'll, you'll be able to give him you know, a little bit of an uh, of, of a, uh, injury, but he's going to crush your head. Jesus Christ had power over sin and death. We have nothing to fear. Satan is nothing and has nothing. Because of the victory uh, that we have in Jesus Christ. Nothing. It's not like God and Satan are these equal opposites, right? They're not. Satan himself is a created being. Fallen angel. He's not God's opposite. He's not. Our world will tell us, and people that, that don't understand the scripture will tell us that. No, God is saying right to him right here, no one's going to come crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. We just read several different uh, prophecies from uh, Psalm 22. We know that in Isaiah 53, which uh, hopefully I can get through this in time, and we'll read all of Isaiah 53 uh, here in just a few moments. Verse 31, therefore, because it was preparation day that the bodies should not remain on the cross uh, on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you might believe. For these things were done that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. We see here is due to religious requirements, they couldn't have anybody on the cross. So they ask to for the Romans to break their legs. They're on a cross, and the only way for them to get breath is to push themselves up, pull themselves up, get a breath, and then sink back down. That constant would sometimes take days for somebody to die on a cross. Broken legs, they can't do it anymore. They suffocate, they die. So they ask for that to happen. They want to speed this up. It says here that none of Jesus' bones would be broken. Another prophecy fulfilled. Seeing a theme here? 
It's even it's saying it all through here. Another prophecy fulfilled. Speaking, you know, when you look back to the prophecy of the Passover meal, Exodus twelve forty six says, "In one house it shall be eaten the Passover meal. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones." Numbers nine twelve, and they shall leave none of it until morning, nor break one of its bones. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. Psalm 34, verse 20 says, He guards all his bones, not one of them shall be broken. So Jesus was already dead, so they don't break his bones. To make sure he's dead, okay? So for the critics that say, no, he wasn't really dead, he was just in like shock or something. They grab a spear and stab him through the through the side into his heart. They they bust that fluid sack around his heart. Blood and water pour out of his body. He had already been beaten beyond recognition, whipped. All those things, scourged, his back flayed open, just ripped right open. Many would die from that type of beating. And Jesus is now uh, then hung on a cross. And they're so sure, these, these guys are public executioners, they're so sure that he's dead, they don't even break his, his legs. But to be sure that they don't have a dereliction of duty, they stab him right into the side. Is there anybody, when I just described that, do you know of anybody that could survive being stabbed in the heart and then thrown into a tomb for three days? No, you need immediate medical attention for any stab wound, right? This is through the heart. That makes things stop. When you're stabbed in the heart, just if he was alive, he would have bled out right there. He would have died. That blood's going to stop pumping because that heart muscle has been stabbed. He was dead. The critic that wants to say he wasn't dead, they just don't want to believe. That's all it is, you know. And if you've gotten to that point with somebody, you can just stop the conversation and just say, "Well, you're going to have to take that up with the Lord because that that's what the Scripture says." You might just be the seed thrower. You might be the one watering. But we're not the ones to make somebody come to salvation. The Holy Spirit does that. John is attesting to what he saw, and he was an eyewitness. And he says he wasn't lying. He saw the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When it says that they shall look on him whom they pierced, that's another fulfillment of Zechariah verse twelve, chapter 12, verse 10. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in, in strips of linen with spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was, he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. <clears throat> so they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. So there they laid Jesus. So... Jesus dies, and uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus ask if they can have the body, that they might uh, do what they, they need to do with it, and they get permission. So what we learn of Joseph, he's a rich man, part of the Sanhedrin, and uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee and came to Jesus by night in John chapter 3. And in John chapter 7, 
Nicodemus, as everybody's throwing around accusations about Jesus and what they're going to do, Nicodemus speaks up and he says, you know, do we really judge a man before hearing him? So that's why those name, that name might sound familiar. So they take the body of Jesus and prepare it, as was the manner of the Jews, it says, and placed it in a tomb. They prepared it with expensive myrrhs and aloes. Now, myrrh might sound familiar. The Christmas story of the, the magi coming from the east. What did they bring? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those were prophetic. Gold for a king, frankincense for a high priest, myrrh for burial. Myrrh is a weird gift to give somebody that's like a baby gift. That's a, you know, hey, here's some embalming fluid, right? That was prophetic. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And what was he buried with? What was he anointed with? Myrrh. Prophetic. You're going to be familiar with this. If, uh, if you're not, just think of watching a football game when the field goal is getting kicked or watching WWE wrestling, people holding up signs, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We just read that account. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world was already condemned. The world was already just on its way to hell. That's what that means. Condemnation means on its way to hell in John Sears' terms. <clears throat> this has all been fulfilled right here. He actually gave his life. And he came that... It, it, to make sure, these are Jesus' words that he said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, that there's salvation in him. We just sang that song, right? Salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, our living hope. John chapter 20. Thank God the story doesn't end there because then we'd have a dead savior. We'd have uh, somebody who claimed to be savior and that his tomb is there, and you can see his, his wrapped-up mummy body laying there. But that's not the case. There's only one perfect one to have walked the earth, and one to proclaim liberty to the captives, one that raised people from the dead, healed the sick, defended the poor, the one that took the penalty for our sins, that we might be saved from the penalty of our sins, and reconciled to God. Reconciled, right? When something's reconciled, it means that there's a, tear, a tearing in a relationship, right? That reconciliation that comes, that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, chapter 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Sunday, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early when it was still dark and saw that the stone was taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord from the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they ran, they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and look, looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him. And went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, 
not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also and saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own houses. As I said earlier, thankfully, the story doesn't end here. And on the first day of the week, on Sunday, that's why the church meets on Sunday. Why? This is called the Lord's Day, because he rose from the dead. On the first day of the week, and Mary went early in the morning, it's still dark. We just had our sunrise service, and that was a blessing. My fingertips still feel weird because my fingers got so cold as we were playing, right? You know, they did. All three of us, Shane and Corey and I, are all just like, I couldn't even, I don't know how my fingers were working, but they felt like they were on fire. They hurt so bad, right? But it was early in the morning. It was dark when we got there. And then as we're there, we just see the sky just, just starting to lighten up. We see pink, and then it starts turning yellow. And as it's turning yellow, then we know the sun is coming. And as the sun starts peeking through, somebody that's there with us goes, there it is! Like, I think it was right in the middle of a song, or I might have been speaking there. Literally a sunrise service. We're watching the sun come up, and we start feeling the heat of the sun hitting our backs or our faces, depending on where you're standing. We see that, that, uh, that sun rising up. Oh, such a blessing. Such a blessing. That's why we go. That's why sunrise uh, services happen. So that, that we can kind of be a reflection like, hey, what happened early in the morning, right? It was such a blessing to be there. And the plan is to continue to do that, Lord willing, if we're still here. So Mary went early in the morning and it's still dark. And uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, very close to Jesus Christ, her and her sister Martha and her brother Lazarus, we've studied them in detail. We won't do that again, but very close to Jesus. She wants to go, and she wants to care for Jesus' body. When she gets there, the stone is rolled away. She runs and told Peter and John. And when it says the disciple whom Jesus loved, John always referred to himself as that. That's a great uh, lesson in humility for us. She thought that his body had been taken away, so she's distressed. So Peter and John... Get in a foot race, and John outruns Peter. Peter's a fisherman, you know, uh, and uh, probably, you know, you don't want to wrestle the guy, but John's faster than him. And um, John gets there first, looked in, but didn't enter. Here comes Peter, probably ripped John right to the side. You ain't going in, I'm going in. You know, isn't that indicative of Peter's uh, personality, right? Peter was the one that stepped out on the water, right? When Jesus is coming, everybody's freaked out. Who's the one that stepped on the water? Peter. Lord, if that's you, call me out on the water to follow you. And he was willing to take that step. You know, and here he is now. And uh, that's a whole different awesome uh, Bible account to study. But here he is. And he shoves, you know, John's shoving his head in there looking around. And Peter's just, oh, you're not going in. I'm going in. He goes right in. And they find the burial cloth lying there. And the handkerchief folded in a place by itself. You know, it says here that they saw and they believed. And the scriptures about the resurrection uh, still hadn't hit them yet. They're still just like, whoa, you know, they're believing and everything. But it's they, uh, you know, Jesus is still going to open their eyes here as things uh, still progress. Still unknown to them, it says. So they went back to their homes and the tomb is empty. Verse 11, but Mary stood outside the tomb weeping and as she wept, she, stoop, uh, she 
she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where Jesus or the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. So women with a very deep-rooted love for her master, for her savior. Mary's distraught. She looks into the tomb and she sees two angels there uh, by where the body of Jesus had been laying. And they ask the question, why are you weeping? And she says, because they've taken away my Lord. Understand that uh, John, uh, sorry, Matthew's gospel describes in detail what had happened. But angels had rolled the stone away. And uh, there was a, a need then uh, for the, the Roman guards who had failed, uh, according to Roman uh, law, that if, if the, the stone got rolled away, that they had failed. And uh, they end up getting bribed. And uh, the religious leaders say, hey, we got this. You just take this money, you go away, and uh, we're just going to say that, is, that uh, things were, uh, that you were overtaken or whatever, and we're, we're going to take care of this. Don't you worry about it. They get bribed. And uh, now they're, uh, she is uh, looking at an empty tomb. She's in there, and uh, when uh, she saw Jesus, it says that she didn't know it was him. So uh, he is addressing her weeping and asks her who she's seeking, and uh, she just wants to be with Jesus. And uh, that, uh, so there's, there's uh, something there, there's some sort of maybe a spiritual veil over her eyes, or uh, maybe he looked a little different than last time. So we don't, we don't really know. We know that he still has his scars though, because Revelation tells us that when you see Jesus, he's uh, a lamb as though it had been slain, right? So Jesus said to her, verse 16, Mary, and she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which means which is to say, teacher, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. She knew the voice of her savior there. When he changed the tone of his voice, when he spoke to her, she heard, she knew his voice. You know, at first there's that, there's that. She didn't recognize him. She didn't really understand. Maybe, maybe just still too distraught. And then when he said to her, Mary, as he had before, she knew. And she runs and just wants to just cling right a hold to him. And when he says, do not cling uh, to me, it's in King James versus Virgin Version. It says, touch me not. You know, this is uh, more of a, you can't stay clung to me. You can't stay clung to me. I have something for you to do. You need to go and tell my brethren, the disciples, that I will be ascending. Now he's calling the disciples his family. So at first they were just a scattered group of people. And then he calls them friends. And now he's calling them his family, his brethren. Go and tell them. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came uh, to the disciples and uh, that she had, and sorry, and came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, 
when the doors were shut where the disciples were ascended for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace to you. And the, uh, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. That's pretty crazy, right? They're all locked in. They're scared of the Jews, and, and they're, all, they're all kind of, they got everything locked up. And uh, here Mary shows up and tells them what happened. And uh, Jesus arrives later on that day and speaks to them. Jesus was not a phantom. This is a bodily appearance of Jesus Christ. And uh, look at verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So we see here that Jesus gave them the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. That sound familiar when God breathed into the breath, uh, breathed the breath of life all the way back in, in, in Genesis into man, created man, breathed into their nostrils and gave them life. This is a new life in the spirit. John chapter 7, verse 39 says, But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believed, believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given to them because Jesus was not yet glorified. So they're being ministered to, they're learning and everything. Now the Holy Spirit is being given to them. And what we see here is Jesus giving them the power to minister, to impart the Spirit. Jesus also gives them the authority to announce forgiveness, to warn of guilt that they, uh, those rejecting him are in danger of forfeiting the mercy of God. With this uh, authority, Peter can speak boldly. In Acts 2.38 says, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were given that authority by Christ. They were given the Spirit, then they can move forward. They've been now uh, commissioned. And they 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 get that great commission, right? And John and Matt, you can look back at Matthew chapter twenty-eight when they're sent out. What we see here is the Lord breathing on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. They're experiencing that new life and the power of the Spirit being poured out into their lives. We'll see later uh, in our uh, in just a few weeks. We'll get into. Uh, where uh, at, at Pentecost and uh, where they're empowered by the Spirit and then they're, they're doing ministry powerfully through the Holy Spirit. We'll get to that. Verse 24, Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Then the disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. It's quite a hard heart. He's got all those brothers that he just spent years with. He's at a point where it's going to take more for him to believe. You guys been there before that might have been a little bit harder for you to believe? I needed a little bit more than this person or that person. I discussed it earlier with you, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. Say that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be, 
you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with mouth confession is made unto salvation. There's a question on whether you truly did that. If you had at one point believed in the Lord, or did it matter? Did it, you know, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. You know, somebody said to be saved, I have to do those things. Turn right to John. You don't have to right now. It's only one verse. First John chapter 5, verse 13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that, it, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. That you can know that you have salvation. There's no, no question at all. There's nothing there. When anybody would, would, uh, would challenge, when we in our fallen state, backslidden state, say, did I really get saved? Am I really? Go right there. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and you know you can be saved. Right there. It's the same John that's writing these things. This same John is writing that in an epistle later on in his life. You know, some of us might be there this morning. Unless I see him, unless I touch him, I'm not going to believe. How many times have we studied together? Just, I mean, I took over, what, September? How many times have we studied that when people would see, we just did it a couple weeks ago. Everybody saw Malchus's ear that was chopped off get made whole again. Yet they still took Jesus. Seeing is not believing. We come to faith in Christ from the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Seeing is not believing. It is not. It, it, if we base our faith on what we see and we don't have any scriptural basis on it, then we're just seeking. We're, what we're going to end up doing is seeking miracles and we're going to be easily uh, led astray by anybody who's got anything, any cool magic trick to show us. We need to be firmly uh, founded on the scriptures. If you're stale or stagnant in your faith right now, I just encourage you to uh, rebuke your heart. You return to him. Say, I don't care what you tell me. I know what the scriptures tell me. We need to obey Christ. That's in. Uh, I'm begging you to do so. I know we're late. We did, I, we're about five minutes late. We just need to press through this, uh, and uh, and I'll get you out of here. It's Resurrection Sunday. You're probably expecting it a little bit. But verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were outside. Were again inside. Eight days. Thomas was not going to be persuaded. Do you know how many conversations you would have had? Think of that. Eight days. These are his best friends. They can't convince him. Eight days. That's a long time. And he's going, nope, nope. That's a hard heart right there. And what does Jesus do? I love this. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Jesus looks right at Thomas. I love this. Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and saying to him and said to him, My Lord and my God. Thomas would not believe. He chose not to. He's being hard-hearted for eight days. He's not listening to it. You know they were probably just like, "All right, fine. You're not going to, you know, you're not, you're not involved in, you know, this, you know, game of cribbage or whatever. You know, you're just going to stand over there because you're bugging me. You know, there's probably some irritation there with them, right? Probably a little bit, but we know that they had received the Holy Spirit, 
and that God was graciously ministering in their hearts. And, you know, maybe they're really patient. I don't know what it was, but for him, that's a long time just to probably get bugged. My encouragement to anybody who will not believe is don't delay. Don't rob yourself of the freedom and joy that come in Christ. Not for one hour, an hour a day, or understand that the scripture says today is the day of salvation. So here's Jesus, who did rise from the dead, a bodily resurrection. Soon we'll read of his ascension. We're not going to get there today, but it wasn't a mystical being or a spirit. 100% God, 100% man, in body, there, and he still has the scars, as we, as we discussed. And he confronts, <clears throat> he confronts Thomas's doubt. He says, reach your finger here, look at my hands, or reach your hand here and put it into my side. Understand that Jesus was not afraid of his doubts, and he's not afraid of doubts of anybody else. He's not afraid. You're not going to stump Jesus. Like, oh, you got me there. That's not going to happen. Jesus Christ knows the condition of every single person's heart. Remember, I've shared with you, I taught upstairs with kids for a long time, and the biggest thing I learned up there is just watching the kids' eyes go, when I said he knows a number of hairs on our head. I know I've repeated that several times, but God keeps throwing it into my head when I'm up here. He knows us that intimately and loves us that intimately. We have doubts. Jesus can meet. And he confronts them head on. It's not like like there's, you know, there's, uh, all these things need to happen. I just had a conversation with a young man that was ministered to by a man in this church. And when the man in this church shared scripture with him, it blew his socks off. And he said, he shared the scripture with me that I studied the whole time that I was in a residential discipleship program. That was like my my where I'd go all the time. And what does my brother take me to when we're discussing where I need to get right on track with God? Right here. Take him to James chapter 1. That's the Holy Spirit ministering through us, guys. God can just go put his finger right on whatever is going on in our hearts. And he does it right here. And They'll call him Doubting Thomas. Go ahead and call him that, but we're the same way. We do the same thing. We need God to, to minister to us at certain times in our lives the same way sometimes because we're so stubborn. He'll address those those things and, and, and he'll minister to us directly. If we're struggling, you know, or, or we're talking to an unbelieving skeptic, just pray for him. If our, we're struggling, say, Lord, I need you to do this and, and show me. I, I need you. My encouragement is don't wait any longer. Dive into the Lord. He is alive. His word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Just get into the scripture. He can conquer any fear or doubt that we have. We're going to wrap this up right here. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet, ha and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the, his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus, Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in, in that believing you may have life in his name. That, verse 31, is why this whole gospel account was written. This is why John is writing this, that people would come to faith, that they would, it says right here, these things are written that you may believe, anybody reading, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of, the, uh, Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You know, if you consider Thomas, he may have seen things, you know, th think of all the things that he had experienced in his life, but he still wouldn't believe in the resurrected Lord. And, and, and now what does he say? My Lord and my God. Notice Jesus did not correct him. 
Any angel or anybody that was bowing down, when, when God would send an angel to somebody and they'd bow down and worship in front of the angel, no, stand up, I'm a servant of God too. This is Jesus Christ accepting that, that claim that he is God. When somebody says to you, Jesus never said he was God, he never corrected him and he said all through, especially uh, John, and I don't mean to be weird by saying it that way, but that's literally, I've heard people say it in that tone, so that's why I'm sharing it that way. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It says that he did many other signs and, and things that weren't written. Understand that what is written is sufficient. The, the scripture itself is sufficient. I love that in, in uh, 31 when it talks of uh, knowing that you can come to know Jesus Christ, come to have life in him. Acts 4 verses 11 and 12 Says this is the stone which the excuse me which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. This is Peter speaking. Nor is there salvation in any other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We talked about John three sixteen and uh, seventeen that Christ came, that God sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe, He didn't come to bring condemnation, but they would have life in Him. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 19 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God, who was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Jesus' work that was finished was reconciling sinners to the Father, that it was finished. Understand that we're not too far gone. If you're still hearing the message, you're not too far gone. You still have breath in your lungs, you're not too far gone. If you know that, share that with somebody because God's going to, he's not putting this in here. His word goes out and accomplishes his will. It doesn't come back void, right? We learn these things so that we can share. You're not too far gone. Don't delay, come to him. A couple more verses to share. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 1.5. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. This is Paul writing to his spiritual son. That's quite an admission of guilt, right? Paul's writing to the one he's training up in the ministry. Sinners. Hey, you talking about sinners? I'm the chief of them. That's a, that's a heart of humility right there. As he's training this guy up, he says, yeah, by the way, I'm the chief of sinners. That's quite a, quite a, a statement. I know I, I shared this, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. There's nothing we can do to earn forgiveness. Christ offers it freely. His life and death is sufficient for paying for everything. Absolutely nothing can and would pay for our sins other than Christ. That's it. Our resurrected Savior. So, in closing, the resurrection, the most powerful and significant event in the history of mankind. It's the culmination of Christ's ministry and the exclamation point after everything that he claimed and said. His resurrection solidified every claim to even to deity. Everything. 
None of this was an accident. It was foretold of for hundreds and even thousands of years before Christ was born. He fulfilled over 350 prophecies from the Old Testament of the coming Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's our risen Christ. Amen? We don't have time to because I'm already 15 minutes over. I apologize for that, but we did have communion. So, um, Isaiah 53. Homework. Go read Isaiah 53 where we see that he was... I'm, I'm just going to... Here I go. I said I'm done. I know I said I'm done. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid our eyes, uh, uh, as it were, and our faces from him. And he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Didn't we just read that this morning? The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When we consider Christ's work on the cross for every single one of us, for all, right? John 3.16, anybody. Will you guys stand with me and we'll pray? Lord, we thank you that we serve a risen Savior, that we have living hope. We're not trusting in someone that we can look at bones, that we worship a Savior that is not only risen, but is returning. So, so blessed, so ready for your return, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. We praise you, we love you, and thank you. Let us, Lord, on this Resurrection Sunday, be about sharing your word and your love with those people around us today as we sit and celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.